Welcome, everyone, to today's focus for Tuesday, February the 14th, 2023, at 11.58 a.m. Central Time. Today's focus? Oh, no. No, it's not Valentine's Day, is it? No, no, no. Today's focus can't be that. I, I, do you want to talk about Valentine's Day? Do you? Do, are you or would you just prefer to, for me to ignore it? What, 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 how do you feel in regards to Valentine's Day? When it, when it shows up on the calendar, are you like, yes? Or are you like, oh, no? How do you how do you feel? I, I don't know if you stress it that way, but how do you feel when you see, oh, it's February the 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Love is in the air. Okay, I won't I won't start singing and doing all of that, but I, I don't really want to talk about that. But in a roundabout way, I do want to talk about that. And I want to connect it to something that we've been discussing here on the Today's Focus podcast series. Okay. Oh, all right. Someone just says no. They don't want to talk about that. I I, I understand. I understand. But we, we I can't just ignore it, right? When you when you say the date February the fourteenth, it's not like I can just say it's February the fourteenth. Everyone just ignore 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 the elephant in the room. Ignore the elephant in the room because I think I mean I think with all holidays, let's let's just be honest. I you know I have <laughs> I have some serious. <laughs> issues with holidays sometimes. And that's my own issue that I have to work through. But um, I think there are always, in every situation, there are people when whatever the, the holiday is on the calendar, whatever it is, they find themselves in a situation where it doesn't bring happiness or joy or excitement. It brings depression, discouragement, loneliness, sadness. It brings these other emotions. And, and I, I definitely, I definitely can understand that. So I, what I have a tendency to do, not always, but if you, if you notice like kind of what I did for Christmas and other holidays, I tend to turn on the microphone and kind of go, Hey guys, if you're out there feeling like it's the end of the world, okay, I'm right there. I'm right there with you. I tend to sometimes do that. Okay. All right. Good. Twyla says, I, uh, Twyla says, I can't ignore it. Heather says I can. So the di- different different opinions <laughs> on the uh, chat right now. But here's what I was thinking. Here was what I was thinking, and I always and I and I want to look at this in a. I, I've always struggled with this, and and I don't know if this will make any sense, right? And 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 hopefully this will make sense. My whole Christian life, I've heard messages whether this was intended. Or whether it was unintended, whether it was just my wrong perception, but throughout my Christian life, I've basically have been given this kind of concept that if you have Jesus, that's all you will ever need. If you have Jesus, you should be happy, content, and satisfied. Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It is, it is, God that gives us happiness. If we, if we eat and drink of Christ, 
then we will never hunger or thirst again. That if we have Christ, we should learn to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves. We should be filled with joy. We should be filled with happiness. There's nothing else I need but Jesus. Give me Jesus and I have everything. And we love, I think, I think we Christians love that kind of language. I, I think we love to say it. I think we love to proclaim it. I, I think there's a part of us that wants to believe it. I think there's a part of us that wants to, to, uh, to uh, f- feel it. All right. Oh, okay, wait. Okay, so just make sure I have the, the, the what, what is happening in the chat down. Twyla is saying, I can ignore it. Heather doesn't want to talk about it. All right, so if I, if I stated that incorrectly, I, you know, I got I to gotta fix my mistakes early on. All right, but back to what I was saying. I think there's this a, and I don't, I hope this is okay to say. I think there's, oh, and it fits for uh, February the 14th. It fits for Valentine's Day. I think there's a romanticized version of Christianity. You hear me all the time try to describe Christianity. There's the Christianity we sell. There's the Christianity we pretend to have. And then there's the Christianity that we really experience. And I think they're radically different. So I think we have this romanticized version that, look, here I am. I had no contentment. I had no happiness. I had no satisfaction. I was hungering. I was thirsting. And then I got Jesus. And I never hunger or thirst. I, I, I never was hungry or thirsted again. I was, I was happy. I was satisfied. And everything was wonderful. That we, I think that we want that so very, very much. I think we want that to be true, but we say that, we sing that, we proclaim that, we we profess that, but then look at the way we live our lives, right? I want this, and I want this, and I need this, and I need that, and I want and I need this, and I need this, and I'm not that, and I'm not happy when this goes right, wrong, and I'm not happy when I don't have this, and I desire this, and I'm frustrated when this doesn't go right, and, this, and and we have all of these constant examples of us being frustrated, not happy, not content, still seeming to demonstrate a lot of hunger and thirst is very much present in our lives. So is this concept of how we are to to be so content, is it really true or is it just hype? Is it really true? Now, some would say, well, it only, it doesn't mean that we're going to be content with everything or we're going to be satisfied with everything because there's some things that we still will need or desire or have to have. And people will start trying to make all kinds of exceptions or try to explain it away. And then to me, the concept becomes very subjective, right? It's like, well, because theoretically, it's, this is the way I've perceived it. What I should be able to do is like, okay, give me my Bible. Give me a notebook. Give me some reference tools. I have Jesus. Make sure I have food, shelter. And then I should just be able to be content for the rest of my life. I don't really need anything else. I should not want anything else. I should not desire anything else. Now, others say, no, 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 no. You need, and then they'll start talking about all these other things you need. Well, if I need all of these other things, well, then obviously, then is Jesus enough or isn't he? And I think I think this, the problem is we sometimes describe what we're supposed, like, this is what the Christian life should look like. And we, 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 in our minds, we may have all of these exceptions. Well, you still need companionship. You still need intimacy. You still need, you need this, you need community or whatever, 
You need fellowship. You need friends. You need emotional this. You need, and then we start going, well, we need all of these other things, which means Jesus in and of himself is not sufficient. Now, others will say, no, 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 listen, 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 listen. If I have Jesus, I'm good to go. See, if I have Jesus, I don't need these other things. And I think it kind of goes back and forth and we struggle. What, what, like, what should it feel like if I have Jesus? What, what should it feel like? Should I be good to go? Like, if I have Jesus, that's it. You know, that's it. I, that's good. I, I'm, I'm happy. I don't need anything else. I think it, and it's so weird because a lot of times it's the people who seem to have everything who will try to be like, Jesus is the thing that gives me happiness and sat- I find my purpose. I find my satisfaction. I find my contentment in Jesus. I'm like, and you have a million dollars and you have this and you have the perfect marriage and you have the perfect kids and you have the perfect house. Yeah, of course, Jesus is all you need because you have everything else. Okay. So, but find me the person who doesn't have any of that. Find me the person where they don't have everything is gone. Would that be enough? And I'm bringing this up because we've been looking at 1 Timothy chapter 2, right? 1 Timothy chapter 2. I know there's been a break. A lot of ha- has happened. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, we read these words. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now, Christ gave himself a ransom. He paid the ransom price. And we've been asking, who was it paid to? To whom did Christ pay the ransom price? And that is a very important question theologically. But today, I just want to take a step back from the theology and look at it from a more practical way. Jesus paid the ransom for you. He paid the ransom for you. You've been set free from condemnation. You've been set free from hell. Now, is that enough to bring you complete and total satisfaction in your life that when everything is gone, you lo- you either lose everything or you never get anything. You can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm happy. I'm content because Jesus paid the ransom price for me. And that's all that I need. That sounds so good, doesn't it? That sounds so good. That's such a romanticized version of it. But is that reality? Do you you find total and complete satisfaction, total and complete happiness in what Jesus did for you? I almost want to quote lyrics from from the number one song in the country right now, but I won't, but I won't, okay? I won't, all right? But listening to the song, I liked it, but I won't, I won't. Maybe maybe in another platform I should talk about the, that song, but but it, I, I, there's just a part of it where the person is trying to convince, like, hey, I don't need anybody else. I, I, I don't need you to bring me flowers. I got it. I don't need you to write my name in the sand. I got it. I don't need you to dance with me. I got it. Because I, I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I'm content with me. Me, myself, and I is better than me and you. Without you, I'm just as good. I, I don't need you. Now, that's kind of how the song goes. It's kind of a good 
anti-Valentine's Day song, right? It, it's a, it's a, it, I, 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 there's a lot about it. Some of you know which song I'm referring to. Some of you have no idea. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. But I think from a Christian perspective, it should not be, I don't need anything else. I've got this. So I'm going to give you two concepts, two theological concepts. We've already talked about them once, but that, okay, yes. Someone, someone knows which song I'm referring to. Someone knows which song I'm referring to. All right. But I, I, there, it, it's made me think about it today. I've been thinking about it all day. Like, how, how does this work? And, and so I want to think about this from two perspectives. All right. So stay with me from two perspectives. All right. I know I'm kind of going a lot of different directions. Just stay with me. All right. Stay with me. All right. So my first, I really, I guess for today's focus, I want you to really focus on what is, what should the normal Christian life look like? Let, let me try to explain this. From almost like I become a Christian, all and 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 I know this is gonna like people are like why I don't understand, but just like just let me explain. Almost from the moment I became a Christian, boom, right? Like day one. I don't know if it was seventy-two hours later. I don't know if it was a week later. I don't know if it was two weeks later. I don't know if it was three weeks later. I don't know when, but it was relatively soon. It feels like like almost immediately. But it was relatively soon that I began to understand, oh, there's the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, okay. Oh, there's priests, right? I mean, I knew the Roman Catholic Church existed, but I, I was now looking at it more from a theological perspective, right? I was trying to understand it from a Christian perspective. I just knew that it existed. I didn't know a lot about it. But now I was like, okay, wait a minute. So these priests, wait, they basically marry the church. They bury, basically marry Christ. They're going to live their life celibate. They're going to live their life without experiencing love or romance or, or intimacy, like, wow. And they're going to just give their life to the service of God and the church. I'm like, how is that possible? And then there's these nuns, sometimes very young, you know, 17, 18, 19, taking their vows, marrying themselves to the church, giving up, never, never get the first kiss, never get that date, Never get the romance, never get the flowers, never get the name written in the sand, never having an airplane fly over their house and write, I love you in the sky. Okay, ne never have any of that. Never standing outside their house holding the boombox, playing the song. Okay, okay, now I'm quoting movies. Okay, no, they don't get the rom, the romantic comedy experience. They don't get any of that. They get a life dedicated to Christ, the church. And I was always like, what in the world? So I would look at my own Christian life and like, I don't know. Like, how is that possible? How is that possible? I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I, and so I'd be like, what's wrong with my Christian life? What's wrong? With, and then I'd be told, well, it's basically a cult. They're brainwashed and they do it for legalism and they don't really love Jesus. And I, you know, I would get all the negative things about it, you know, and I'd be like, okay, let's say it's a cult. Let's say they were brainwashed. Let's say they're doing it for legalistic reasons. Well, what about us? Because we walk around going, if you have Jesus, you will never hunger or thirst again. You should desire God's word more than food, more than gold and silver. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So should that not be enough? So I really want you to just think about like, what is, 
Should Jesus be enough? I really want you to think about that. But here's what I want us to do, all right? Here's what I want us to do. First, I want to just give you these two phrases, all right? The first one, penal substitution. Penal substitution and vicarious atonement. I know what you're thinking. What in the world? Penal substitution, vicarious atonement. What has that got to do with Valentine's Day? And and is Jesus enough? Because I want you to understand what he's done for us. He paid the ransom price. And when you kind of go into, he paid the sacrifice. He He suffered completely satisfying the wrath of God on our behalf. And when you put all of these concepts together, it's sometimes referred to as penal substitution. Now, sometimes in theology it's referred to as the theory of penal substitution. I would refer to it as the fact of penal substitution. But Christ's death was penal and that he bore a penalty when he died. He bore a penalty when he died. His death was also a substitute and that he was a substitute for us when he died. So he paid the penalty for me and for you, and he was the substitute. He he took my place. He took my place and paid my penalty. This has been the orthodox understanding of the atonement held by evangelical theologians and the contrast to the other views that attempt to explain the atonement apart from the idea of the wrath of God or payment of the penalty. This view of the atonement is sometimes called the theory of vicarious atonement. So penal substitution, make sure you know what that is. Penal, he paid the penalty. Substitution, he was a substitute. He paid the penalty you should have paid, which would have required an eternity in hell. And he was the substitute. He took your place to pay that penalty. It's also referred to as vicarious atonement. A vicar is someone who stands in the place of another or who represents another. Christ's death was therefore vicarious because he stood in our place and represented us. As our representative, he took the penalty that we deserve. So here, God is upset with us. We're at enmity with God. We're separated from God. God is angry with us and we deserve his wrath and condemnation. And we would spend an eternity in hell to pay for our sins because we so were rebellious against him. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who came, who took our place who took our place and God was able to pour out his punishment upon his son. And by faith, then that punishment is for us. The price has been paid. The ransom price has been paid. God has been satisfied. That's been done for you. God did that for you. Now, am I supposed to go, well, what more do I need? What more can I ask for that my eternity is set? My eternity is guaranteed. My sins have been removed. My guilt is gone. I stand before God now covered in this perfect righteousness of Christ. We didn't even get into the whole, the whole idea of imputation, but he, he paid the penalty. It's all taken care of. I'm no longer at enmity with God. I now can be reconciled to the creator. I'm now a child of God. I stand forgiven. I stand complete. How much satisfaction should that bring? 
How much satisfaction should it bring? It reminds me a little bit of this. All right. Now, many of you know that I worked in the medical world for 22 years. 22 years. And why working in the medical world, at least my experience was, I worked with 90% women, okay? About 10% men. It was pretty much wherever I worked, it was, I was usually the only guy I was working with. It was, it was all women. Every once in a while, there would be another guy here or there, but typically I worked with women. So every year on Valentine's Day, I got to watch it take place every year, right? And it was almost like a, it was almost like, I can't wait to see how today is going down, right? It was almost, I would put bets. I would be like, okay, so, and I'm just going to make up names. Okay, Kim over there, and then there's Susie over there, and and there's Ruth over there, okay? And there's, you know, just making up names. And I would always kind of make these bets to myself. Okay, I wonder what they're going to get today. Because almost without you fail, some delivery person would come in with flowers or with chocolates, chocolates or a, a singing telegram or or something, right? Something. And I would always watch and I would kind of like try to figure out who's going to get what. But what I really looked for is who you could tell was super excited about it and others who were like, really? He's never going to understand. I didn't want flowers. I hate flowers. I don't know what's wrong with him. Why is he so stupid? He knows I hate chocolates. Why is he sending me? What is wrong with my husband, right? Because there would always be those you could, they they, they would always try to be nice, but you could just see it on their face that it was kind of like, and, I, and it, you'd be like, wow, that's not going well. Or you would see the ones who nothing showed up, right? And then sometimes they would look embarrassed because then they're like, well, wait a minute, everybody else is getting something. Now, it doesn't mean that the husband wasn't going to do something for them, but it just created this kind of awkward thing. Well, did you see what so-and-so got? Did you see what her husband, did you see? And everybody saw, and it was always just fun to watch. But in a roundabout way, I think sometimes, oh, how, how do I say this? How do I say this? Is this even fair to say? Sometimes I feel like we're like penal substitution, vicarious atonement. He paid the ransom. Really? That's what I'm getting for Valentine's Day? Really? Penal substitution, vicarious atonement, ransom paid. I know we would never say those words because we're good Christian people and we all, but there's a part of us that thinks sometimes it's kind of like, okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I need something more. So either we crave a spiritual experience because just the fact that he died for us is not enough. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I'm getting, I'm, I'm stepping on some toe, toes, right? Or we say, wow, that's so wonderful. And then we say, I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that. The fact that Christ pe- provided penal substitution, he paid your penalty. He was your substitute. He stood in your place. He made atonement. He satisfied. He was the propitiation to God's wrath. He drank all of the cup of God's wrath on your behalf. You're you're free from the wrath of God. You're free from hell. You're free from that eternal death. You have life. You're now a child of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. We we say all of those things and we and maybe on a Sunday we're like this is awesome, but sometimes it's amazing. We can be in church going amen, amen, amen. We may even be in a church where 
We applaud. We may be in a church where we raise our hands and we cry tears and we're like, this is amazing. But then by the time we get home, we're already yelling and fighting and griping with our family, our spouse, our kids with something. We're arguing about, I don't want that. And what are we doing for lunch? And I'm so sick and tired of eating at that place. And our kids could just shut up and stop talking. And, and, and we're like, whoa, it looks like there's a lot of lack of contentment. Now, do we demand a contentment that the Bible doesn't call for? So, you know, the song is like, hey, I, you know, I, I can buy my own flowers. I can buy, is it, is it, should we rewrite the song? We're like, hey, Lord, really? Penal, penal substitution? Vicarious atonement? Ransom? Could, could you give me something? I need a little bit more. I need a little bit more, a lot. In fact, I need a lot more. But then here's the big one. Here's the second part of this I want, I want us to really think about today. Oh, boy, this one's hard. And you know, I'm, I, you know you're getting ready to hear my skepticism and my cynicism. Oh, boy, how do I say this? I'm going to get myself in trouble. I'm going to get myself in big trouble. How do I, how do I say this? Why, why am I so dumb? Like, like, I could just, I should just be, how come I can't be like all the other pastors? I could just turn on the microphone today and just say, it's Valentine's Day. Jesus loves you. Isn't it wonderful? Okay. I, I, just, but I, 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 I always get myself in trouble. All right, but here we go. Because my, my brain doesn't function correctly. It, it, it got broken somewhere. But I really wonder about this. Here's this day set aside. Now, whether we whether you like it, whether you participate in it or not, but it's set aside for a day to celebrate romance, intimacy, love. And and there's a there's a romanticized, just like we talk about a romanticized version of Christianity. I think there's a romanticized version of this day. But my cynicism creeps in. My skepticism creeps in. And I wonder, just, just a thought, at times, does love simply become a transactional agreement? A transaction takes place, right? I love you in order to get from you, right? So I wonder how many Valentine's gifts are given in order to to get. You're giving in order to receive. I'm giving you this gift because I'm hoping I get something in return or I expect something in return. And if they don't get what they think they're going to get in return, then they become frustrated and they become upset. So does it, be, does it become a transaction? Does love itself become a transactional thing where I love in order to get? How much of love is truly self-sacrificing? Because the whole thing we're talking about, if we're going to talk about Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about God's love. God, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? There's, there's sacrificial part in it. Jesus dies for us. Right? That's all self-sacrificing, right? 
And so we, we talk about like, you know, a, 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 having a biblical love. I don't know how many Christian, I saw, I don't know how many Christian websites today I've seen Valentine's Day articles and, you know, you know, celebrate love and celebrate love. And I just, and I just have to think about, if we think about love suffereth long, it is kind, it envieth not. Charity, it, it, uh, char- it vaunteth not itself. It is not uh, puffed up. It does not, it, it doth not behave itself unseemly. But here's the thing. It does not seek her own. It does not seek her own. Now, my own, per- here's my own personal feelings. I believe 1 Corinthians 13 is straight law, 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 law. And anyone who reads 1 Corinthians 13, it's like, <laughs> give me a break. I, I've never loved anyone that way. I would love, I think we would all like to pretend that we do, but we don't. We don't. God, Jesus loved the Father. The Father loves, uh, I think, I think you can see Christ fulfills this kind of love for us. So in Christ, I do love this way, but in practice, I do not. I wish I, 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 I wish I could be that way. But I just think so much of our human love is transactional. I love in order to get. That's how come, I think that's why, that's why uh, we see that God's demand for love, the law basis of love, like because we're commanded to love, we're told to love our enemy. That is, that, that's the one thing that is the most, has been the most fascinating. I think that was the one thing that stood out the most to me when I first read the New Testament as a, as a believer, I'm like, wait, love my enemy? Turn the other cheek? Now, see, that's, that's love. That's love. Loving your enemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. What? I, I, I think it's a concept. See, once again, we kind of romanticize it. But what we start making all kinds of except, well, love my enemy, but that doesn't mean I have to do this. And it doesn't mean I have to do this. And it doesn't mean 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 this. And, it, and we come up with 50 million things it doesn't mean because that is, but that is that, is that not the essence? Right? Like if someone smacks you, you turn and offer the other, whoa, whoa, wait, what? You resist not evil? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah, see that. See, I think that that's not a transactional agreement, right? That's not a transactional agreement. That makes love one way, just one way. When you love, but you don't get what you want. Will you still love? I don't know. I think most will not. See, we can talk about penal substitution. We can talk about vicarious atonement. And we definitely need to understand them from a theological perspective. But they raise these questions like, how much should that satisfy us? And is that not the greatest example of the kind of love God calls, which is a sacrificial, selfless love? But I believe so much of love is selfish, not selfless. I think much of love is transactional, not one way. I know what's what a wonderful Valentine's Day message. Isn't it so wonderful? (laughs) 
Isn't it so wonderful? Now, I think the reality is, I think the reality is, and I'm, I am just going to bring up, I am going to bring up the song here just a second. I am going to bring it up. Um, I think if we're honest, even though, even though there's been penal substitution, even though there's vicarious, vicarious atonement, same concept, even though Jesus is our propitiation, even though his righteousness has been imputed to us, I think for us to deny that we can find complete satisfaction in that, I think we can find complete spiritual satisfaction in it because now I no longer have to strive and labor to keep the law for salvation. So I think there is a spiritual satisfaction. But I think practically, I think practically, we I'm going to borrow from the number one song in the country right now. We want someone to buy us flowers. We want someone to write our name in the sand. We want someone to talk to us for hours. We want someone to say things that we understand and for them to understand the things that we say. We want for them to take us dancing. We want for them to hold our hand. And we want them to love us in a way that no one else can. I think that that's the reality of it. So I think maybe we need to not romanticize this. I don't know. Maybe we need to explain it better. I do think we should be overwhelmed with gratitude and love for what God has done for us in in penal substitution, in the vicarious atonement, in propitiation, in imputation. I think we need to know these theological concepts. We need to embrace them, and we should be overwhelmed with gratitude for it. Maybe our lack of gratitude is telling about how sinful our nature remains. But I think at the same time, we have to be very honest with ourselves that our love sometimes is extremely self-serving. Well, that was your wonderful, positive Valentine's Day message for February, February the 14th. 2023.